everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Momming Autism Podcast, where we are providing a positive platform for parents to share their stories about raising special needs children. We are your hosts, Amanda DeLuca and KDMD, and today we have the honor of bringing you an amazing advocate and autism mama, Christina of Love, Hope, and Autism. So welcome, Christina. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So Christina, could you introduce yourself and just give a little background on your journey and where you share for anyone who may not be following you yet? Sure. So my name is Christina Abernathy. I am a wife and mom of three. Um, Our oldest is our daughter, Selena. She's 18. And we have twin boys, Ethan and Brayden, that just turned 10 in May. Although May doesn't seem... May seems really long ago, even though it was just a few short months ago. Um, And I have a blog called Love, Hope, and Autism. I'm also on Facebook as Love, Hope, and Autism and on Instagram. Um, I'm also the coordinator for Changing Spaces Pennsylvania chapter. Um, It is a nationwide campaign, but I run the Pennsylvania chapter, and I'm sure we're going to get more into that later. Um, And I also work uh, part-time right now as a family support and community engagement specialist with a company called Achieving True Self, where we provide ABA services um, for children and young adults on the autism spectrum. So okay. that's a little bit about me. So you wear all the hats, all the hats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't we all? Yes, yes. We don't know how to do anything else, I don't think. Right. So Christina, can you talk a little bit about your advocacy work with um, Changing Spaces? why this is such a passion project for you and what um, that should look like. Because I told my husband we were going to be recording about this and he's like, I would have never thought about that. But now that it's been brought to my attention, it has to be everywhere. I'm like, I know, I know. Yeah. So um, how we got involved was because, um, you know, as Ethan was getting older, Ethan is our son that is autistic. And um, he does have some other medical diagnoses as well um, that will impact him throughout his life. And one of them being that he needs assistance in the restroom. And as he was getting older and larger, you know, I kept saying to my husband and shaking my head every time we'd come out of a restroom saying, there's, there's gotta be something better. There, there has to be something out there. What are other families doing? We can't be the only ones, you know? And it was actually um, at a Miracle League baseball game um, so I don't know if you're familiar with Miracle like a special needs baseball team. Um, and so you're at this beautiful field that's soft and welcoming and um, all these children with different abilities. And I mean, it's just an amazing atmosphere. And then I go into the restroom and I'm like, I have to change my son on the floor. Like, there's no way we are the only family that's at this field right now that needs something like this, you know? I came out of the restroom, I have tears running down my face. My husband is like, what is the matter? I'm like, we can't keep changing him on the floor. Like this, this is not okay. You know, we have have to start talking to other people. There has to be something better out there. And that's kind of how our journey with it started was just my husband and I talking and me just kind of saying, something has to be better out there. And it was when um, I started taking to social media and just kind of sharing our story a little bit, just kind of, know it's a personal subject I mean you're talking about a restroom issue right so it's very personal it's private um and so and I'm always um I always keep a lot of boundaries when I'm talking about certain things like that and you know posting pictures or anything like that and you know trying to keep my son's dignity intact as well when I'm talking about it and sharing um so that's really important to me and you know starting just talking about it just seeing how people 
reacted and said, you know, we're in the same boat or my son's 25 and we've been doing this for years. And that's how I was introduced to the Changing Spaces campaign was talking about it on social media, it being shared across the news, you know, across the United States. And uh, women and self-advocates were reaching out to me in other states that have been advocating, you know, for a year or two, a few years prior to this. Um, and so I kind of just joined forces with them. I said, what is Changing Spaces? What is your mission? What is the campaign all about? How can I help? How can I get involved? I just, I wanted to know all of the things. Right. <laughs> so that's right. kind of how it started. And um, the Changing Spaces campaign actually originated uh, in 2016. And how they came about was the UK actually has an organization called um, Changing Places. So I know it sounds a little bit confusing, but bear with me, okay? So the Changing Places campaign in the UK have over a thousand accessible restrooms, not only with adult-sized changing tables in a family-style restroom, but also with the ceiling lift. So their inclusive accessible restrooms in the UK are amazing. I mean, top-notch. This is what our goal should be like here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, and so the ladies here, when they saw what they, the amazing work they were doing in the U.K., they were like, we need to bring this to the U.S. Why aren't we doing this? They also have, you know, now young adult male children that need something like this. And uh, so back in 2016, but what they found was two things. In order to be called a Changing Places restroom, you have to have the lift and the table. Mm -hmm. and then number two is that our laws are very different here. That we were getting a lot of pushback on the lift, which is kind of crazy, but we're getting a lot of you know liability risks and things like that on the lift. And so the ladies decided that at the very least, the changing table gets our loved ones off the floor, okay. right? So they still wanted to move forward with the campaign. And so that's why it's called changing spaces as opposed to changing places. So I know it sounds a little confusing, but we like to give credit where credit is due because the UK has over a thousand of them and it's amazing. Um, and so even though we're doing work here in the US and we are making slow, semi-steady progress, we still have a long way to go. Um, so that's how it originated. And we specifically advocate for the installation of powered height adjustable adult size changing tables and so i just did a video about this the other day about what the difference is between like a fixed height table and a height adjustable table and this is so so crucial and so important when we're advocating for these because fixed height tables do not move there's no gift to them you would have to lift your loved one up onto the table you risk injury to yourself and or the person that you're taking care of um, or powered height adjustable tables are more accessible for people um, so instead of you know you trying to lift your 150 pound mom daughter son husband what have you you the the table comes down to about 18 inches off the floor and so especially for wheelchair users this is so so important so that they can get transferred safely onto the table raised up the caregiver can help change them lower them back down and um, safely transfer again so for us safety is most important um, so we're getting our loved ones off the floor we have a safe private dignified space to clean them and i just don't think people understand the power of just one piece of equipment is life-changing for hundreds of thousands of individuals across our country so that is, that is what we're doing. And our mission is to create these spaces um, within family restrooms with height adjustable tables um, for individuals who cannot safely utilize the standard restroom alone. And I think, 
um, it all comes back to privacy and dignity because, um, you know, my son's eight. He can't go in a restroom alone. He probably realistically will never be able to go into a restroom alone. And that's a reality that we are looking at. And um, I think it's better to prepare than to deny that that's going to be our reality. And, um, you know, family restrooms aren't everywhere. And, um, you know, we've all been in a bathroom. Who wants to lay on the floor? Who want? No one should have to lay on the floor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's inhumane. Mm-hmm. You know, there is no dignity there. Um, it, 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 nobody should. We don't even want to lay our purses on the restroom floor, let alone our loved one, our child, our, our a sibling, a, a parent. You know, because this isn't just an autism-specific thing. This is so many different walks of life and journeys and diagnoses, chronic health conditions, you know, some wheelchair users, disabled veterans, the elderly, MS, someone suffered a stroke, epilepsy. I mean, the list goes on and on why somebody might need something like this. Um, And so it's just so important that we just continue sharing our stories and using our voices because change is coming. You know, it takes time, but um, it's just so important. I think spreading awareness and sharing our stories is just so important because people don't know what they don't know. Right. You know, until we were impacted by it, it was probably nothing I really thought of either. Right. So um, you are in every state across the country, correct? So changing, yeah, so changing spaces is a nationwide campaign. I think there's 22 states actively advocating at the moment um, and several of them are trying to um, pass legislation. There's been a couple states that have passed legislation. They're not great. The bills were kind of rushed and they were, you know, kind of passed through quickly, but, um, you know, others of us are still continuing with legislation. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw that you um, successfully had one installed in the Pittsburgh airport. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, in 2019. So it was right, actually, like a couple months before the pandemic hit. Um, we were there, I think, in like October celebrating. So I, I reshared the video um, for anyone who may, may have missed it, you know, two years ago um, because it's huge. We were the seventh in the entire country to get an adult size changing table. And even now, let's see, two years later, there's 11 um, adult size changing tables in airports across our country. Um, and, and I, it's really sad to me because there are over 300 dog and like pet relief areas and airports in the United States. Mm-hmm. So over 300 compared to 11 adult size changing tables is a little sad. I just, I just think we need to start making human dignity a priority. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we're dog lovers too. And, you know, Ethan used to have a service dog, so we understand the importance of them and they are needed, but there's one specific airport that has seven of them. They have seven pet relief areas, but not one adult size changing table. So if if Ethan were to have another service dog, there's a place for the dog to go, but nowhere for Ethan. And I just think that we have to start prioritizing and, and especially with laws, there's laws that say that there has to be these pet relief areas. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're passing laws on doggy dignity before we're passing laws on human dignity. And I just think that we need to prioritize that a little bit better. I agree. 
So um, if someone is listening and they see the need for adult size changing spaces near them and they want to get involved, what would the next steps be for them? Sure. So if they're um, out in public somewhere and they, I always say like, if you see a large family restroom and there's all this space and you just see a baby changing table on the wall, I always just ask to speak to someone, you know, for us, it's sharing our personal story. But if you, if you're someone who wants to get involved and you don't have a personal impact by it, I would just, you know, try to contact someone, whether you're, if you're at a hospital, if you're in a museum or something, just ask to speak to a manager or something. Cause typically if they can't help you, they know who can and just share, you know, hey, did you know that you can make your restroom a little bit more inclusive and accessible for all people to come in here and enjoy your museum or enjoy your zoo? Um, if you would replace a baby changing table with an adult size changing table, you know, more people would, you know, come to your venue or, you know, come to your zoo or what have you. Um, I think that's the first step. Um, if they're not comfortable doing that and they want to just get involved with the campaign um, by like sharing across social media and things like that, they're more than welcome to do that. Um, if they really want to get active within the campaign, they can go to our website at www.changingspacescampaign.org. Um, like I said, there's 22 states that are advocating. If it's not one that has someone currently advocating, we'll help you get set up in, in your state. Um, and we always say it's really important too. anytime you're around legislation, you know, bringing it up and bringing awareness to it, you know, talking to your governor, whoever, whoever you want to talk to really, um, just to bring awareness to it um, and the importance of them and, and why they're such a huge need. Again, people don't know what they don't know. And honestly, most times when we fir very first start talking to people, the first part is ed educating, right? You know, so it, if at if, if the very least, if they just talk to somebody and make it part of a conversation, that in itself is doing a lot. Yes. Mm -hmm. So Katie is um, furiously taking notes for Canada because that's how she rolls. Mm -hmm. So I know that, I know that <laughs> is what the next, um, your next message in your inbox will be. I want to bring this to Canada. How do we do that? <laughs> well, it's, it's really funny as you're, you know, as you're talking, there was a few years back me and my husband had went on this business kind of holiday and we actually ended up having to bring Avery our oldest with us and we had stopped at this gas station and I said to my husband like oh well, I'll bring Avery in and you know and he you know now he's 10 years old and is still in pull-ups and that's you know just part of our life anyways I had went in there was no um there was no clean bathroom there was multiple bathrooms there like there was two women's and whatever two men's all of them were disgusting um the floor had like a thick layer of like dirt and there was like an old like mcdonald's cup and like it was bad and this is like a brand new gas station that has like state-of-the-art like fuel pump all the things anyways i we had experienced that and i had to you know put Avery on the floor because if he would have went on the you know baby you know toddler change table like he would have broke it like it we would have been replacing it so um I had to put him on the floor and I was just like out of sorts and as we're leaving the gas station I'm like a mass writing on my page and tagging you know the company where we had stopped for gas and everything and it had only been on the internet on our page for like I think eight eight minutes and all these people just on social media are tagging other people and 
And by the end of our road trip to our, you know, destination that we needed to get to, um, the manager had ended up messaging on there and being like, you know, apologizing and everything else and had a hundred different excuses of why their place was in that kind of state and, and things like that. And it very much made me realize, and I never really thought about it until we went on that holiday, that this is our life. Like Avery, as much as I, you know, push him and hope that one day we will, um, you know, be potty trained and, you know, I wish the very best for my son. The reality that we're in right now is that when we go out in public, there is nowhere for him to use a washroom with dignity. There, they just doesn't exist here. So when that had happened, we kind of pushed a few different things um, in some of the bigger cities and, you know, they looked at it. And of course, always the cost factor comes in. That is always the first thing, like how much is this going to cost us? And, and it takes a really long time. And what I found interesting here, and I don't know if you have found it where you live, but here in Canada and specifically in Saskatchewan where we live, people would love for something to change there they would love for there to be bathrooms that their children would be able to use but they are so set in their ways that they just don't take their kids anywhere the, the bathroom doesn't exist so they never leave their house we know hundreds of families that have children that are too old to be on a you know toddler baby size change table but they literally don't their kids never leave um, their house and i always think what a sad life like because this is not accessible because we don't have this in you know restaurants zoos whatever you may have it um we have these kids that not just are diagnosed with autism but are diagnosed with down syndrome cerebral palsy that don't leave their house because we have not made the change so i don't know if it'll ever change here um money is a very big factor in in really where we live in Canada and that is always what it comes down to so always making adjustments or asking for something to change even in a school level um, is always really really hard it took us our, our oldest son Avery is going into grade five and it took us till uh, just before the pandemic for him to get a little just almost like a size of a medicine cabinet that he could put his pull-ups in. Um, that's how many years it took from kindergarten to, and like this year he'll be going up to grade five, but um, the school wouldn't do it. And he would have his pull-ups just laying out in the classroom and it would drive me nuts. Like I couldn't handle it. And people who don't live our life would always say, why does that bother you? Why does that upset you? Why, why does it matter? And, but it matters to me. It, you know, if it doesn't bother you, that's fine, but it bothers me as a parent. It comes um, back to dignity. It comes back to privacy and dignity. And I think we've come so far, we have, but we have so far to go because I feel like it always comes back to privacy, dignity, basic human rights. Christina, so what, what's something you do when you come to the money conversation? How, how do you move through that with companies? I, I think the money conversation, I think it, de it depends who it is. I think some families are very comfortable about talking about money when it comes to presenting something. If you're presenting it to a school board, if you're presenting it in government or whatever, 
you know, whatever you have it. But um, other parents that have children that very much live our life don't know what the steps are. If someone tells them no, they think no is the answer. If they're saying, I want my child to have a lift in the bathroom because that is what's best for them and that is what they need and that is their, you know, human rights. You have that um, accommodation to be able to attend this school or, you know, they don't see it that way. It is, you know, it's an argument and a lot of families aren't comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with having that conversation and when it comes to money and everything else because it really just doesn't bother me. It doesn't phase me at all. Um, but I found it really funny with us. Like it took years and, and I'm not even kidding when I say that it is this little metal, um, kind of medicine cabinet that has like these two little doors and a little lock on it. And I'm sure it costs like a hundred bucks. And that was a struggle. That was like the biggest fight you ever did see. And you know, the school was like, well, we can put them in a backpack and we can this and that. And still to this day, Avery will be attending school in September. And still now at, at the age he is and everything, um, he is going to be changed on the floor. He, there is no lock, there is no door. So any student can walk into that bathroom at any time. And I think that is why when, you know, now before I was having trouble with it as well and, and not doing well with it but even now him going back to school for September I'm always thinking should I even send him because he is not treated equally he is the kid that is going to be changed on the floor where a grade 12 student a kindergarten student whoever you may have it can walk into that bathroom at any time and see that Avery is laying on the floor getting changed um so there is the something US, wrong with that. So in the U.S., we can't say because of money and in, in the school setting. Yeah. Christina, are you seeing that with companies and um, airports with the the changing table um, conversations? Does it come back to money? Um, honestly, I mean, I, I've gotten more comfortable talking about it, you know, as the time goes on you know I've been doing it a few years now and and Katie I do want to say I'm so sorry that that's going on and you know he deserves so much better you know I just want to say that um so but keep fighting and we will talk after this as well and if there's any way I can help you but um I think I've never had anyone decline it you know for a money reason um there's conversation about it Sometimes conversations go better than others. Um, I always circle back to, you know, we're also talking about large venues. Um, you know, this isn't like your little small mom, pa restaurant down the street or something like that. So, you know, where, you know, NFL team plays and things like that and um, large museums, hospitals, highway rest stops, like these are places that, and airports, like these are places where like a $5,000 table is like penny change to people like that, you know? So um, it, it is talked about and, you know, the changing tables really do range in price. I always say they all do the same thing. They they look around the same, but the price range varies. Like, you know, you can kind of get the Chevy or you can get the nice Cadillac, you know? So it really just depends on preference. I also go by like, where is this being installed? How often is it going to be used? Is this, are you going from like outside directly into the restroom where like 
there could be like a high risk of like vandalism and things like that. So I really take that into consideration and I would, you know, recommend a $2,500 table as opposed to the grand, you know, $10,000 table for something like that. It just makes sense, right? It's feasible. Um, and so I'm not uncomfortable talking about the price. I mean, it gets brought up or, you know, some like nonprofits, like I'm learning, you know, like our zoo is a nonprofit. I never knew that. It just kind of surprised me. Um, so when it comes to nonprofits, funds for things, there's so much process in that. So um, sometimes that's the issue is like, I, it's not like we're not gonna do that because of the money. It's how are we gonna get that, you know, paid for and through who and how and why and where and all the things. So, um, you know, and I always just say, you know, you're, you're missing out on a very large population of people who are often forgotten about. And so when you think about, um, you know, full families being able to come. So instead of just maybe the dad and the daughter, you then get the mom and the two other siblings that can't come because brother's in a wheelchair or whatever. So, you know, the revenue, you know, you're putting money into it, but you get that back tenfold because you're investing into your company, into your zoo, into your museum or whatever and more families are coming out, you're giving the ability for people to leave their home and come enjoy your establishment. And what happens is these people keep coming back to your establishment because you made it a point to make it more inclusive and accessible for people. I was so, gonna say, we're loyal. We are loyal customers. You have somewhere where my kid can go and be themselves, where our family is accommodated. We are loyal customers. We will buy your year pass and be back every dang weekend because we're limited on what we can do so i think you're right you get that investment back because these families trust you and they value you because you value them absolutely so to jump from one soapbox to another i know <laughs> when i sent you these questions you and i were both like chomping at the bit to talk about this one um you recently wrote a piece um and it's about people using the R word and nothing makes me instantly cringe, get sick to my stomach, feel hot and bothered as that word. It is, it is so disrespectful and degrading and unkind and hurtful. I mean, I could just, the list goes on that. The word is just so mean. Like there real, there really is no other word to way to describe it. And, you know, I get, I always get, you know, that one person that ends up like commenting something not nice or, or reaching out in a, in a negative way. Sometimes I respond, sometimes I don't, depends. Um, and, and, you know, I think people, some people try to justify it depending on their age, okay? The generation conversation is always Yes, yes. and I'm, I'm 38, so I grew up in a time where, like, I vividly remember people saying, you're so retarded, or that's retarded. And if I'm being completely transparent and honest, I think I've said, that's so retarded. I don't believe I've ever said to someone, you're retarded or you look retarded, but I remember as a kid, eight, nine, 10, you know, it, it was like funny. It was like all the kids said it, parents said it. That's so retarded. So instead of saying something stupid, right? Like they would say that word. 
and mental retardation was also used for a long time um, in the medical profession. I mean, those were the real terms for individuals, you know, having an IQ lower than a certain number. And back then, I don't think it was seen as rude. Like using the term mental retardation though, years ago, I remember it and having to say those words, but that's also very different than saying you're retarded or you're a retard. Using the words mental retardation years ago when it was used in medical professions and things like that, okay, but you, we've done better and we have changed that language to intellectual disability, which I think is much more accepting than mental retardation. Um, but I think that there's sometimes people like if they grew up in a certain time, it's just, why do you have to get offended by everything type of thing? And it's, it's not getting offended by anything. I, I mean, I'd rather say hear somebody say that's stupid as in like, oh, that idea is stupid or something like that, as opposed to that idea is retarded because I just think it's cruel and mean and disrespectful. And it's just so hurtful for anyone who has a child with a disability or, or another loved one or anyone that, you know, is impacted by that. And so for me to hear that, that word just, that word is not said in our home. Um, I remember Brayden, Ethan's twin brother, you know, asking me about that word. And we had a very long conversation about it. Cause he was like, you know, I've never even heard you or daddy say that and I'm like because we don't we don't use that word you know um and so he would know that if anyone would ever call Ethan that in front of him like I know how heartbroken he would be you know um so we talk about the importance of the words that we use um towards anyone disability or not we shouldn't be calling anybody a retard or saying you look retarded there's there's so many other words in the vocabulary and in the English language that we can use instead of that word. Yeah, and it instantly makes me tense. It instantly makes me feel icky and sad. And I just don't understand how, like you said, at this day and age, there are so many other words. Why are we still reaching for that one? Why do we think that's still okay? Why do we not understand that's hurtful? And we were at a place um, that Jackson loves. It was a train museum and there was an older gentleman. He was probably in his 60s. And he said, um, there were a group of kids here yesterday. They made a mess in the bathroom. They were retarded. And I said, my son who's standing right here has a disability. That is not okay or appropriate. And he's like, no, but you need to come see this bathroom. And he just couldn't understand. And I told my husband, we have to leave right now because I can't hold in my my nice words because they're the about mama claws were coming they're out. about the mama to claws. overflowing with words that our children should never hear from their mother's mouth but he just couldn't understand um because in his generation quote unquote that's acceptable and i don't buy that anymore i don't i don't accept that i it was a teaching moment i was trying to meet him with please don't ever say that again. And here is why. And he wasn't listening. And there was no way I was ever going to change his mind. I know that now, but you know, my grandmothers watch our children and they are very careful about their words. 
And my dad has used that word before. And I said, if you continue to say that, you're not welcome in our home anymore. And I'm sorry, but I just, I can't, I can't expose my children to it. I can't have it happen in my home because I would not let anyone else ever say it, especially you. And it's just, it's a hard conversation to have. It's hard to tell people that it was very uncomfortable, but being a special needs parent, being a special needs sibling, a loved one, those hard conversations are going to happen a lot. I think that, you know, even for us, we didn't have to have any of those conversations until we had Avery. I can remember vividly my grandparents talking a certain way, once again, from a different generation, different time, and they're old. They're just, they're old (laughs) and they see the world in such a such a different way and we've had to have so many hard conversations special needs conversation with them autism um before i had avery they didn't even know what autism was they were just like what like what did he get diagnosed like they just it was like a whole learning experience for them and then it wasn't you know we told them he was diagnosed with autism and it was like okay well all the ways that we thought and were taught and were raised about um you know for our whole entire life just went away we constantly had to remind them like okay you can't talk like this and you can't say this a certain way and you know they're 70 years old like they're old like they just so it took a really long time and i remember when Avery was really little my friend was hanging out with us and her daughter was playing with Avery and we were all at the park and my family and like was all there and I had you know we were in an intense conversation a little bit about politics and a little bit about special needs and things were getting heated and I had to like kind of take a step back and make a comment to both my grandparents I'm like you cannot say that you, you can't say this you can't say that and nobody uses this term and they're looking at me like I'm nuts like what? Like none of that. People don't use that. Like they just didn't know. So um, now they do and it's good. But every so often, and, and I've had this conversation with Amanda, something will get brought up or something will be talked about, either about autism or special needs or really anything that is like a touchy subject in the world. And they'll whisper it, like they'll whisper what they want to say. So it'll be like a full sentence and then whatever they really shouldn't say or maybe is not exactly the right um, term that they should be using but very much were taught um, and know from you know being in what generation they are in um, they would like whisper it so my husband never knew that was a thing and then finally one day he's like why do they keep whispering half of their sentences and I'm like because like they they don't know how to say like you know about certain things about special needs like um My grandma will tell a story and she'll be like, I was at the grocery store today and I was getting apples and milk and this and the other thing. And then I was standing in line and there was a boy that was, he was jumping, Katie. He was jumping and he was flapping and, and, and I think he was like Avery. Um, okay. And yeah, and the grocery store was great. I'm like, could you not just hold that entire story without whispering? Like, did you have to, like, I don't get it. And she's like, was I whispering again? yeah you are like it's so funny but a generation thing it's it's tough it's we we have found it tricky we saw a lady last week and she's like this is jackson i follow you on facebook she's like my sister also has a child who has autism 
autism. I'm like, Jackson knows about autism. We talk about it all the time. We don't have to whisper it, but I appreciate you trying to be sensitive. But in the same respect, like I feel like us as special needs parents who share our stories on social media, we don't know if we're saying anything right half the time because it's such a debate all the time. Yes, we can say this. No, we can't say So I understand where they're coming from, but I think there are certain definite no words. And the R word is one of them, everyone. That is a big one. Yeah, that's a big no-no. <laughs> it's kind of like walking on eggshells. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Your journey in yeah. this community. I know. You never know. You never know. You just hope. Katie and I were talking about this before. You just hope you're doing okay. You just really hope because you are giving your best, whether people want to acknowledge that or not. We all are giving our best. I, I completely agree with that. And I know, I know me and I know my character and anybody who knows me and knows our family knows that when I'm writing and when I'm posting, it comes from a place of love and kindness. Mm-hmm. And I would never do anything to intentionally, you know, disrespect or hurt someone else like that, you know, across social media. So um, I just wish when things aren't agreed upon that, you know, um, we could meet each other in the middle with kindness and respect as opposed to name calling or attacking so that's and that's why a lot of the times i just don't even engage in things like that for me it's not worth my mental health and peace of mind when it comes to that stuff and so it's very easy to delete and ban (laughs) bye-bye your hurtful words are not welcome here (laughs) well and that's the thing you know usually when they come um, at you with hurtful words they don't want to meet in the middle there isn't going to be um a productive conversation because their opinion is the only opinion um and there are a lot of people like that on the internet the Mm -hmm. internet is not for them but they think it is you know it's (laughs) i think the internet can be so so good and then there are days that i'm like i kind of want to bash my head off long ago do i want to still do this and then i remind myself why i do this and you know every time i post or share something if there's just another mom or another caregiver or another self-advocate or anything that's out there saying i needed your words today thank you that's why we do this you know yeah so christina what is your advice um, for a fellow autism mama who is just finding her voice in advocacy um, she knows that there are things her child needs she knows that they you know need to really speak up and help make change but they're just not sure how sure um so i think for me personally um after ethan's diagnosis he was three um and it was kind of a rocky road getting to that to that place but um i think i think for me personally i when we got the diagnosis uh, you know there were tears shed but not in the way of like oh my gosh his life is over our life is over it was not like that at all it was more so like finally having an answer to so many questions that we had for such a long time um So it was almost kind of like one door closing of like, okay, now we know, and one door opening of like, there's just this unlimited amount of possibilities of the resources that we have to help him and for him to be successful and happy in life. Um, And so for me, I think it's so important to share with others to like take the time that you do need for yourself to like process the emotions of that, you know, getting a diagnosis that is is lifelong, right? Um, You know, but we also, 
be mindful of the fact that we don't know what our child's future holds. Like I always love to share that just because they can't do something today doesn't mean that they can't do that in the future. And, you know, Ethan, our son has been a prime example of that over and over again of, you know, there's a 50-50% chance that he may never talk. And while his verbal speech is limited, he does have some words now and he still uses a computer, you know, a talker to help him communicate. So I just think if we just remember that diagnosis or not, our child is still that amazing person they were prior to the diagnosis. And the diagnosis helps us get those resources for them um, that they need. And I really didn't start coming out of my shell with advocacy until I really, for me, it was important to, again, autism is one of Ethan's diagnoses, but it was really important for me to understand diagno the diagnosis of autism for Ethan, mm -hmm. because as we well know that this is, it looks so very different and we experience as much as there are some things that are similar, every walk and path is very different. So I really wanted to kind of fit into the shoes of where that, what that meant for our family, what that meant for our son. And that's kind of how I think I started finding my voice along with him, you know, into stepping into those shoes of ad advocacy is when I was more comfortable in understanding what autism is and how that impacts Ethan, how that impacts our family, the supports that he needs to be the best that he can be. And I think that's how I kind of like grew my wings because when I was unknowing about all of those things, I was in a place of, you know, unsure. And, and for me, I don't like to speak to others or not even go on a social media platform and try to speak of something that I don't even know what that means for, for my son and our family. So for me, it, it took time and, and I think that that's okay. I don't think it's something that happens overnight, but I think with each meeting, with each doctor's office, you know, I'm very big on like writing down questions that I have and going to an appointment or to a meeting. I wanna make sure I'm hitting X, Y, and Z. Again, I think it's great to ask questions and learn on this journey. We're constantly learning. Um, so I just think, don't stress yourself out about the advocacy piece at the beginning. Really, you know, take that time to be within your emotions, whatever that may be, um, and feel all that. I think it's, that's part of the process. And then moving forward with, what do we need in place to have my child be the most successful and happiest that they can be? Um, and I, I just think that the advocacy piece just kind of comes naturally as you're going through it. At least that's my experience. I think that, I think you're right because this is not a sprint. This is a very, very long marathon. marathon. Yeah, mm -hmm. and we can't burn ourselves out because there is not another us to step in. <laughs> So Christina, can you remind everybody one more time where they can follow along and learn um, more about your life and Ethan and the work that you do? Sure. So it's Love, Hope, and Autism, and that's a, a blog on social media for Facebook and Instagram, um, and also the Changing Spaces campaign. There's um, a Changing Spaces www.changingspaces.org um, you can find us there but you can also on Facebook look up different chapters so if you're curious if your state has a chapter started already like if you were to look up Changing Spaces Pennsylvania the group that I have started will, will pop up um, and I do keep it as a group I'm glad I did it this way because at first I was like oh I didn't make it as a page I should have done it as a page but what happens is you get people who should not be in a group like that um, that are in it for the wrong reasons. And we know that there are many good people on the internet, but there are many 
not so good people on the internet. And again, this is a private issue and it's um, something that I, again, I wanna make sure that there's boundaries and, and dignity met and things like that. So as the group, I can see who's coming into the group. I kind of check you out a little bit, make sure you're not a troll <laughs> before just allowing you in the group because people share their stories and, you know, um, but I wanna make sure that we're creating a safe space for families to share and with us as well, with our sons. So, um, yep, Changing Spaces Pennsylvania, love hope and autism. I love to write, I love to connect with other families. So I just, I appreciate you having me on and talking with you ladies. I loved it. Well, thank you so much for um, giving us, I know mama time is precious time. So thank you so much for doing this because I think um, advocacy is so important and I think um, the things that you are doing really is important in our community so hopefully this can help get some more mamas um, using their voice and helping um, promote some change so yeah absolutely I always say you know I'm just one voice but I think that there's power in numbers so especially with the changing spaces campaign and even here in Pittsburgh I mean I don't I don't do this alone it's with other self-advocates caregivers parents you know, legislators, I mean, it, it takes an army. And I just think that the power in numbers, like our, our voices are being heard and it's gonna make a huge impact, so. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Christina. And thank you all so much. We will be back again next week. Thank you.